As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello, I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this is The Game, the audio supplement that perfectly complements the football supplement from The Times. This week, uh, we've got something special for you because we're recording a show from the lovely studios at Absolute Radio. It's number one, Golden Square, if you want to drop by. By the time you get here, I'll probably be gone. But Russ Williams is joining me. He spends a lot of time here. And uh, I'm sure if you ring the bell, tell him you're here. He'll invite you up, show you around, share some of his coffee with you. and we've got two of my favorite uh, regulars here. We have Rory Smith, who's back from spending time, I believe, on some remote island. And, and this was by choice, Rory? This was by choice, yeah. This was by choice. Remarkable. And, of course, the poet at the Times, it's Mr. George Calkin from George's Gaff up in the Northeast. Uh, later on, we'll be talking uh, about domestic cup competitions, which ones are good, which ones stink. Um, and we'll also see how much progress Liverpool are making. But uh, let's start with Manchester United and Arsenal. Arsenal. Rory, you're back, so let's start with you. Uh, it wasn't 8 2, but it was um, pretty freaking dire if you're a gooner, right? Yeah, well, it, it probably sh- wouldn't have been 8 2, but it might have been 6 1 or something. It was uh, very, very poor. I, I find Arsenal bizarre because if they win, people immediately talk them up as, as potential title challengers. There's all, been all this praise for Steve Bold and the defensive work he's done. Then they lose, and it's almost as though they're about to get relegated. And I find that very odd. Arsenal, to me, looked like a work in progress. They've looked like a work in progress all season. Well, yeah. And I, I, I think they'll be in the mix for fourth, but that says more about the Premier League than it does about Arsenal. I've never understood why people have been sort of talking them up so much. Uh, it's, it's interesting in your sister paper, The Sun, today, to read what Alan Shearer... We, we, we don't like to be reminded uh, of that, especially well, our boss, okay, Tony well, Evans. Um, and he's a scouser... He's hard, so he well, might find you if, if you keep mentioning that. We can that edit paper. that. Okay. Alan Shearer says that the problem with Arsenal is, and I think he's got a really good point, they have not replaced the players that have left the RVPs, the Fabregas, the Nasris of this world. The, even the Alex Song, who I thought was a really good player for them, um, with like individuals, if you like. And um, he maintains that that is Wenger's problem. I, I can't see them winning a trophy this season. Again, um, I just think that they they looked wanting at Manchester United, and that used to be a game where they would turn up with all their World Cup winners. Arsenal a few years ago. Times have changed. Uh, George, I we had an Alan Shearer mention there, so of course uh, by contract I have to come to you. <laughs> this thing, what, what Russ said is, is undoubtedly true. He hasn't replaced the players that he had with like for like, and he's replaced them arguably with worse players. I have to say, no disrespect, it might be true, but I don't think it's the actual most insightful comment I've ever heard uh, from Alan Shearer. Or actually, it might well, be. Hang on, hang, hang on, are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, it might be. <laughs> but I, I, want, I wanted to ask you actually uh, about that, George. Isn't there a case to be made, though, that if Wenger believes in evolving, I mean, if you go back, for example, like 10 years ago, he, he had a very tall physical team. Um, then he had a very sort of lightweight, agile team. If he, if he wants to evolve and take his football in a slightly different direction um, 
then if I'm playing devil's advocate, might it not be a good thing that I'm not replacing like for like? And also, if I'm replacing Robin Van Persie, it's not really that easy to find another, you know, Robin sure. Van Persie like. Well, I, I suppose you can put those two arguments together. You can say a few years ago, we would praise uh, Wenger for selling big players at, you know, at the right time when they were at their peak, when people like Henri left, when people like uh, Vieira left. Um, we would sort of recognize that he was gaining as much money as possible for them, um, sort of, you know, sort of at the right time. Now he doesn't have that luxury and they're being sold anyway. And whether you want to change tactics, formation, approach, play, whatever you want to do, if you're constantly losing your best players or regularly losing your best players, you're not going to be able to do it. It's as simple as that, really, I think. Um, Arsenal haven't had the, had the chance to sort of adapt as much as they would do because um, who are they building their team around? It changes season after season. So, um, I mean, I think, that, I think that is a point. They haven't, they haven't adapted as much as other teams have in the same period but in some ways Wenger hasn't been allowed to do that what, what I would say is I think you're absolutely right Gab that so, so when Wenger came in he, he was trying to he married continental technique with traditional British values of pace and power and all that and he got that first rate side then he tried to change it he kind of wanted to be a bit like Barcelona so he had he built it kind of around Fabregas and it was tippy tappy and really attractive football the Arsenal of five years ago didn't play the same football as, as the Arsenal in 1998 the Arsenal in 1998 were quite, they were quite direct they were pretty but they were direct they were a fast counter attacking side what is the philosophy at Arsenal now what is he trying to build or has he just sold loads of players and he's bought whoever he can who might kind of fit so Padol kind of the work ethic Giroud theoretically is the goals Chazor is the creativity mm. but there's no sort of cohesive plan to Arsenal mm. I think that's what they're lacking well, well, I, I, sorry but Russ I mean help me here if again I, I don't want to totally go to bat for Wenger and what is his worst start I think ever in the Premier League but on the back of the point Rory just made, if that's the case, that the, I mean, Casorla, Podolski, Giroud, these guys are all new. Chamberlain's a kid. Um, Wilshire's basically been gone for a year and a half. So mm. you got to kind of integrate this. Dabby's hurt again. Yeah. Um, is, does, that, does that give him a way out? Is it this well, thing where we should trust in, in, in well, Arsenal? Well, not you because you're not a gooner. No, but, I'm not. But, but, but if you were, if, I know it might be an uncomfortable uh, jump to would, make. It would right? be very uncomfortable for uh, me. But. But, but if you were, should, Look, you trust in, should you trust in Arsenal and say, well, it's just a question of getting these guys together? You know, I, I've admired Arsene Wenger over the years and, you know, sensible Tottenham fans would fall into that category as well. But um, I think when I heard he signed Podolsky, I thought, do you know what? I think he could do really well in the Premier League. I know that he didn't have a particularly good time at Bayern Munich but for Germany he's an established goal scorer he's got a good record and I thought he's going to be dangerous for Arsenal what does he do he plays him on the left where he's totally and utterly ineffective why would you buy a player who could be direct like Podolsky and not use him properly well, Doesn't make sense. He to, to be fair he's played on the left yeah, no, a lot he is a career, striker he's a striker for me but Actually, that, that sets me up goals. That sets me up nicely um, for my transition week because we had to spend the whole time lamenting how no. much Arsenal stink because you know we, we've done that many times this season. But Rory, so this involves defending a South American foreigner. So I'm hoping <laughs> uh, my learned colleague will join me, even though uh, it's a Brazilian and not a um, not a Uruguayan. But um, Andre Santos, he got absolutely slaughtered for the way he played. Um, and he got slaughtered because he reached out for Robin Van Persie's shirt. Now, 
Uh, two things. First of all, it looked to me as if it had a lot to do with the fact that Podolsky, who people talked all season long, he works so hard. Look, he defends. He defends so much cover. In this game, for whatever reason, Podolsky went walk about into some like black hole down Michael Carrick's shorts and just just disappeared. And it left Andre Santos time and again on his own. And, and you know he's not that good to begin with. He can't handle it. The other thing, this business with the shirt swapping. I mean, so I'm sorry. Who the hell are all these people who go and crucify Andre Santos? What the hell do you know? What maybe he made a deal with Van Persie? Maybe he wants to auction the shirt off for for, for charity, and then there was he was going to get it in the tunnel at halftime, which players do all the time. And he just happened to get it three three paces before they disappeared down the tunnel. Are you as incensed as I am? No, I'm, I don't think anyone is ever as incensed Thank as you are, Gab, to be honest, about anything. Um, no, not at all. I think you're right. It happens all the time. Players swap shirts. At halftime, in the at tunnel. At halftime, in the tunnel. They, or if they don't swap, they arrange who's going to get whose shirt, and it can it could be for charity. Because guess know. what? Van Persie actually has two United shirts for the game, and he can swap it twice, one in the first half, one in the second half. And it happens all the time. I think... I'm surprised that, assuming Andre Santos isn't auctioning off for charity, I'm surprised that professional footballers are bothered about getting each other's shirts. Andre Santos will, will have played in... I'm pretty sure it is for charity, because guess what? Andre Santos is a nice guy. He has friends. He has people like, hey, can you get me a Van Persie shirt? Maybe it's his driver. Maybe it's his butcher. Maybe it's the guy who does his pedicure. It, it, may, be, it may be his driver. He, he's not allowed to drive himself, is he? So it might exactly. be. Exactly. <laughs> <But, laughs> surely, surely, though, there's... I mean, there's a... You know, there's an image to this, and having been... having having certainly not played very well in the first half whoever's you know whoever's fault that was to be seen sort of asking for Van Persie's shirt as they're walking off the pitch together after a really difficult first half you know it does suggest that um, that's what he's thinking about not his own performance not the, not the performance of the team it's things like that that do do wind supporters up and you know doesn't doesn't look great for a team that's kind of in a bit of difficulty, and you would you would hope that you would hope that you have a bit more sense. And if it's if it's going to happen, it would happen. Right. It would happen when the t- television cameras are not all over it. Yeah, I think that's fair, and it is a bit stupid of Santos to do it in full glare. He's not. He yeah. shouldn't. He shouldn't be doing do that. The but tunnel. it is. It is inherently. I agree with you, Dab. I think it's inherently sort of distracting from the main issue. Um, but I didn't really care about it. If I'm honest, it didn't. I didn't really spend any seconds thinking about it. Well, that, I'm, I'm, I'm glad there's some international media who has it because it seemed like it was like you know he committed the worst offense in no. the history of mankind. Um, now, ordinarily, I, I, I get incensed, and I'm guilty of this too. Like when we see, when we have a game or there's a goal scored, uh, that you know, when you point out the negatives rather than uh, baking up the positives. And a very wise man, uh, one Andy Gray, actually said that you should always big up the positives, and then you can talk about uh, the negatives. And I think he's right. In this case, though, United played very well. They could have scored a lot of goals. I find it hard, though, to talk about because Arsenal were just so terrible. I, apart from United's midfield, who I thought were—I I mean, I, I thought they were very effective. But I mean, at the back, yeah, Ferdinand and Evans—it looked to me like you know they could have been drinking margaritas back there, given yeah. <laughs> given Arsenal's attacking threat. Am I they, wrong they, here, Russ? No, they, uh, George. They, they could have been drinking margaritas in the black hole in Michael Carrick's shorts. I mean, it would have been. Um, uh, no, I mean they. I, I'm not in love with Man United like I have been in previous seasons. I don't mean as a fan because I'm not, but they're not irresistible, are they? Yet, but they didn't need to be against Arsenal. Mm. And, the, and they're sitting top of the Premier League without even getting going. But you can read that two ways, can't you? You can read it as, as either it's great, just if they they get better, then they defend that position, or it could be a false position. Does United can't defend? No. That, 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 and that well, is a problem that, but look at the Braga game yeah exactly dreadful but then they're in a division where no one can defend and possibly in a continent where no one can defend 
That's a bit of debate. Yeah, it's a question. Can we defend in the Premier League full stop? Is it? Right, Judge, that's what I was talking about. Let's get away from the negativity, which turns us all into mini wannabe on Well, it's positivity. It? Bad defending means goals, and that's what we want. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Russ, sorry, one more thing before yeah. we, we, we move on to... Um, we, we move on for this. Aaron Ramsey, what position is he playing, and why is he there? Well, it's a, it's a very good question. You, you have a player who predominantly is on the right, and when Walcott is not playing, he's even further on the right, isn't he? He moves from the right of midfield to the right wing. And I, I watch him, and he's a frustrating player for me. You see flashes of, of real talent, I think, but not very often enough. And if I was Arsene Wenger, I'd be looking at that, that spot he occupies in that midfield for Arsenal at the moment does he belong in the front three Rory I mean does he have I mean I, I actually like Ramsey a lot I think his personality I think his technique but and, and I know yonks ago you think he even played right back for, mm. for, for yeah, where did, yeah. but playing out wide in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-2-3 whatever you want to call it is a completely different position I can almost see the point but it would be very unvengeresque as if you're there to neutralize you know the monster attacking left back but you know Patrice Evra isn't Roberto Carlos anymore assuming he ever was what what, what gives well, I think it's I think partially because Vender and Walcott have got this tran- this contract situation, which means Walcott's not playing. Yeah, but Arsenal have other players. They do, but, and I think Vender likes the fact that Ramsey's quite economical in possession. He doesn't give the, the ball away a lot, but that's just he's very safe. I like Ramsey, but I like him in the central three. I think he's a good player in the central three. He, he's calm. He's quite composed. He's, he's good. His vision's good. Out wide, he doesn't offer enough. Yeah, but exactly. That, yeah. that speaks to the same the problem that Arsenal have got. W- what is their plan? What's their system? Um... Well, they're going to win something in two years when fair play comes in. That's what their manager said. Jam tomorrow. And they're sitting on 70-plus million in the bank, which their fans find frustrating. How funny would it be if Cronky took all that 70 million out and <laughs> used it to build more Walmarts? Now let's move on to Anfield, uh, Liverpool and Newcastle. Um... Which is kind of cool because I think we have a Newcastle fan here and a Liverpool fan mm. and a very objective Spurs fan. So it's, it's, it's a nice sort of balance here. But um, I looked at this, uh, and I'll start with you, Rory, because, you know, I'll be the bear of bad news here. Going into the weekend, um, I think it's right to Brendan Rodgers had one more point than um, your god Roy Hodgson did at the same stage two years ago. Um, there's a stat that was tweeted yesterday, I believe, by Ollie or Tony Barrett or somebody like that, uh, who says that Liverpool have won three of 15 games at Anfield in 2012. Now, that wasn't all Rodgers. That was some Doug Leach as well. Is it that bad? Or tell me, in light of all this, why do the red masses all still have so much faith? Is it Do they see a bright future ahead? I think... What's what's saving Rodgers to an extent is the fact there's so many kids in the team that fans generally, not just Liverpool fans, see young players coming through and that they, they allow themselves to imagine that things will get better tomorrow and that you know the future is is bright, it's coming, that they're building to something. I think that's there's an element of that with with Rodgers. I think he's been let down by FSG and their financial planning in the summer but I think he has to take a huge amount of responsibility himself he had one attacking target in the summer Clint Dempsey when he didn't get him he had no alternatives that's an abrogation of responsibility to me um, and also yeah I mean I think the record generally is not good enough There's, for all the talk of change and revolution and starting a new a new process 
winning two games at home this season is is just not enough. It, they've they've had a relatively difficult start. They've played all, all the sort of top six, top seven. They haven't played Chelsea yet. They go the except Chelsea. Week. Except Chelsea. Yeah, they, I they, believe they haven't played Spurs. I mean, they haven't played Spurs, but no, they've played. No, so they played. Spurs are going to Anfield. So. Yeah. So they, there you go. They, so they played five of the top seven. Is what I meant. My apologies for my factual inaccuracy, which is not it's not particularly difficult, but it's it's not entirely easy. Um, get to January if it's if it's still this bad at home, then I think he'll have a real problem. I think there there is pressure coming could, on Rogers. Could, could he be the AVB of this season, Brendan Rogers? Well, if you talk to FSG, no, because they, they've said sort of they've briefed that it, he could lose every game and they wouldn't sack him. Do they they see a plan? He's not lost every game. Should start. AVB's assistant, of course, went on to win the Champions League. Do we even know who Brendan Rogers? Colin Pasco. Colin Pasco could, could, could win. Could we see Colin Pasco winning the Champions League? Lifting the Premier League <laughs> trophy at the end of the season, possibly. Ah, yeah, Let's yeah, not rule it out. Um, Resto, you, you've seen that. A number of rebuilding jobs, yes. um, obviously, you know, as, as a fan in Spurs, sort of long-term decline. Um, Thanks very much. The, <laughs> no, no, that was provocative. No, no, it was true, actually. The point Roy made about the kids. Yeah. Um, fans will never boo kids, right? I'll never turn on a team that's full of well, kids. Uh, that used to be sort of the old de facto rule. Is there also though a time though, as a fan, where you look at it and you say like? I know what you're doing, manager. Like, these kids are clearly in over their head, and you're just doing this to save your own behind. Not suggesting that's what Brendan's done, but, I mean, have you seen somebody at, at Spurs, manager at Spurs or something, who thought, this is what he's doing, isn't it? Funnily enough, the current incumbent is the one who's played more young players, I think, probably in percentage terms, um, than certainly people like Redknapp. Even going back to the Glen Hollows of this world, I mean, you know, Santini and um, and, and those short-term guys didn't really m- have time to make any uh, impression there. I mean, Tottenham uh, has a good reputation for producing good young players, I think, within the game. But like a lot of clubs, have not really given many the chance that perhaps some of them are warranted. And I think on a plus point for Andre Villas-Boas, when he's, you know... Stephen Colker, who is turning into, I think, quite a, a really notable central defender with a really good future ahead of him. Uh, you know, last season he couldn't get a look in. He was he was out on loan, and so AVB, I think, so is he's learning the trade from yeah, Brendan Rodgers. Progressive, yes, uh, and Ashley Williams. But at least AVB is doing that. Now there will be sections of the crowd like me who think, okay, this is good. I want to see the young players. They're the future. But there will be sections of the crowd who say, no, 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 they're, they're not good enough. They're not experienced enough. They're, you know, they're not going to help us achieve what we need is Champions League football. Well, let's see. I think, I think the thing about kids, just I don't want to interrupt George, who's about to talk. I can feel it in my bones. But but you just did. What what's what I think has been a problem in English football for quite a long time is that gap between eighteen and twenty two, where the players develop in the academies or whatever. They be, it's obvious that they're talented. They then don't get a chance at first team level, and that's that's cost. If only there a, was a Premier League under twenty one, which league. there is now, but there didn't used to be. Gap. Liverpool have sort of trying to bypass that by just giving all these seventeen year olds a game, and that's great. Does it could it will make or break them? But that within that there is a risk that it breaks them. If you've got Suso and Sterling, Andre Wisdom, Wisdom is a bit different. He's a little bit older, but Suso and Sterling, you, you have to protect those players. You can't play them week in week out. You can't be throwing a seventeen year old kid on and saying win us How the game. How many games has he played Sterling for Liverpool he's, he's on the bounce? A started lot. pretty much every yeah. league game this season. Let's talk about another manager who keeps doing it with smoke and mirrors, and he's up there. Um, your boy Alan Alan Pardew I just want to I go back to this because we kind of I, I, I don't know 
I get the sense sometimes we don't always um, celebrate technique and technically gifted players unless they pay for the Sky 4. Ben Arfa and Kabai, I mean, I know Kabai goes off injured and whatever, and they might not do it all the time. These guys are really, really good, George. They are, yeah. No, they, they really are, and it's been... Um, George, I'm going to jump in right here, right? You used to cover England, right? Yes. If these guys were English, would, and, and you were Roy, and you wanted the best for England, would they be in your England starting 11? Hang on. If they were English and I was Roy, well, oh, terrific. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, no, they're, they're, they're fabulous players. Yeah, of course they would. I'm sure they would. I'm sure players of that quality would get in the England team if they were English. But um, if I had ham, I could have ham and eggs if I had eggs, if I was hungry. That's right. And if your aunt had wheels, she'd be a bicycle. But exactly. George, you can't because you're not allowed the calories. No, not not this week. And But they're, no, they're fabulous players. They've... You know they've not played as well as they as they did last season so far this season. Um, you know, Pardew Pardew has sort of said all the way through so far. Judges after ten games, well, it's ten games now, and they're what are they tenth tenth place? And I think that's probably I think that's probably fair enough. Um, they haven't they haven't hit the form that they did last season, but they've picked up some pretty decent results along the way and you know not you know it's cliche cliche alarm bells ringing but um to be able to do that when they're not we're not playing well suggests something else i mean last last season i won't say they were lucky because they weren't because it was all based on quality and hard work but things fell for them very nicely and it, they haven't fallen for them quite so nicely this time we saw them pick up injuries yesterday but there is a resilience about them um, so they are capable of digging out results and yeah they've got some really really fine footballers what they haven't got is a deep squad that said uh, Colocini who I, I sort of had this on and off relationship with I mean in purely platonic terms of course because of course this is a guy who was a superstar at a young age went to a bunch of big teams was absolutely terrible to the point that you know his name is still kind of a running joke in some teams then goes to Newcastle for a lot of money um, at the time when uh, actually you remind me who bought him uh, it was under Kevin Keegan but the suspicion is that it was it was the right. hierarchy as opposed to it was the yeah and and he goes there and to me it looked like oh look you know they pulled the fast one here on, on Newcastle you know getting them this weirdo Harry Lum <laughs> and then he he plays extremely well and and totally uh, you know totally lives up to it, but then of course he goes down again because what was up with that kick on Luis Suarez, which looked to me totally unnecessary and just kind of a very foolish thing to do. Was there some running aggro between the two? I'm sure if there was, Rory will give us Suarez's view. Um, but um, did, did that surprise you from a veteran player, a, a leader? It surprised me a great deal because it was it was it was absolutely out of character. Yeah. Um, and he's been a brilliant, not only a. Br- the train is now approaching. Junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Brilliant centre-half. He's been a brilliant captain for the club. And, you know, he, he, he is adored by supporters. He did have that terrible, terrible kind of start to his career, as, as many of them did at Newcastle at that time. But he's... He's bounced back from that, and is a is a genuine leader, and seems a really you know a really good guy as well. So it was it was a 
Um, you presume it was a, a red miss moment. It's not something that he's done before or is likely to do again. He he was troubled by Suarez throughout the whole game as um, as a lot of as a lot of Newcastle players were because he was so good. So I can only presume it was something like that. Um, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing malicious in him, and there certainly hasn't been anything malicious in him previously on the football pitch that I can recall. Um, the one final thing is, it's a point, and my Liverpool supporting, but Brendan Rodgers uh, hating acquaintance who texts me occasionally, um, pointed out to me, oh, look at big stupid fathead. Um, the winning goal is a hit and uh, our goal today was a result of a boot up the pitch from a player who Brendan Rodgers doesn't like and doesn't play and that would be Jose Enrique any broader meaning to that is that, is that kind of mean and unfair to Brendan I think it's interesting that Jose Enrique under Rodgers has turned into Jose Jose he's not he's not Portuguese a man. pirate if you look at the bald head and the, the massive beard, it's it's. Did he boot it up the pitch like that just to spite Rogers? You think, or was he trying to score a goal? No, I think he's seen the runner. I, I choose to believe he's seen the runner Suarez. But I think the the thing that we should all let's concentrate on the positives. Jab, as you say, yeah. what a touch on his oh. shoulder from Suarez! What a touch that was. Yeah, he's can play a little bit. That that, that Luis Suarez. We didn't. Even, we, we we did a whole segment on Suarez. We didn't even mention the word cheat once. I, I think we're, he was we're making progress. He was trying to handball it exactly. I'm wondering if uh, anybody here has cup fever, um, as in uh, uh, the FA Cup and uh, the League Cup, uh, which I'm tempted to call Carling Cup, just despite the current sponsors. It's interesting because there is a certain contrast here, right? The FA Cup is still seen as the serious uh, competition. Um, The League Cup is the one where oh, it's all just a lot of fun because we'll play a bunch of guys we've never heard of and the game will finish 7-5 and then if we get to the semi-final, then we start taking it seriously. Um, Which do you enjoy more, Russ? Well, I I think... the Capital One Cup has been extraordinary. Okay, he mentions the sponsors. Extraordinary entertainment. I've never had one of their credit cards, nor have I ever defaulted or okay. been sued. It's called the League Cup. Yeah. Okay, let's call it the League Cup for Gab's sensibilities. Um, Look, it's not a major sponsor. I like it. We're talking about the Barclays Premier League. The Barclays Premier League, which offers some of the most, it's the most exciting league in the world, many people feel. Yeah. Don't you agree, Roy? Yeah. I do not. Well, is the Capital One Cup then the most exciting cup competition that we've got at the moment? The thing I like about it is that there's no replays, and I think that that uh, encourages... It drag to, on forever. Exactly, and I think the FA Cup really has got to have a look at that. The, I think they're important, the FA Cup and the League Cup, for you know this much-vaunted pyramid of English football that we talk about that is so important, and I think it is in terms of bottom feeding the top unfortunately the top as time goes by I don't think is that much interested in the bottom anymore and so these competitions do keep that sort of contact going and and I think that they're both uh, important competitions but the FA Cup is for me it's not what it used to be right so I I can see how the the FA Cup keeps this sort of we're all part of of the pyramid thing going but Mm. The League Cup, Rory, as I understand it, was created uh, simply because a lot of football clubs installed floodlights and they're like, oh, look, we can now play at night, so let's go and invent this competition. And you don't really have small clubs in it. It's all, I mean, they're all, as the name suggests, they're all League Cups, aren't they? They're all, right, yeah. all uh, League sides, right? Yeah, but I think so, if, you, if you said to Bradford, who are in the quarterfinals of Arsenal at home, that it's not important. I think, I think they'd 
they'd be well, they'd be very cross with you, very cross indeed, to be honest, because it's really important to Bradford. They're a League Two side, and th- 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 they do keep that concept, and I think that is important. The problem for both is that. I guess the mentality of football's changed so now that the big clubs don't look at the either cup as being especially worthwhile it doesn't hurt you're, you're a Spurs fan Russell you go out of the, go out of the town in I wasn't whatever it's called when they, when they lost at Norwich but, but it doesn't hurt like a league defeat does because I've been told does. by our manager that we were taking all competitions very seriously but it doesn't hurt like a league defeat does it doesn't sort of you don't get that, that pit of your, of your stomach feeling when your team loses in the league mm, well no does the, it, you, the weekend wasn't great does no. you just think well, it's, only, it's only whatever it's called now, the Rumbelow's Cup George uh, this is the part of the programme where of course I bring up uh, the fact that Newcastle haven't won anything since the Texaco Cup, um, which I don't. Maybe you can go that. I'm, I'm sure George will tell us what the Texaco Cup was um, or is. Uh, but um, is that is that how I, we always talk, people bring this stuff up? But if it was that easy, wouldn't Alan Pardew play his best eleven in, in the League Cup and just focus everything on that and deliver the much needed silverware? And then, I mean, do, do we sort of? patronize fans when we talk about oh they all want silverware and a cup run and look they haven't won anything since xyz well i mean managers get sucked into the into the kind of same same thing it seems to me whichever you know whichever club it is whatever their stature i mean i suppose i'm talking about premier league clubs now because you know at the start of the season alan pardew said you know first priority is is premier league getting it back into the top five six four um and I've, I've kind of had this debate with enough people to realise that I think I'm increasingly, you know, I'm increasingly sort of out of out of touch, really. But as as a you know, someone who's watched northeast football for 40 years, I would take a trophy any season and finishing 17th in the Premier League. That would be that would count for me as a brilliant, brilliant season. But I think people less and less would take that now. And I had that conversation with. I've had that conversation with directors at Newcastle. I've had that conversation with fans um, who, who travelled over to Maritimo in the UEFA Cup a few weeks ago, and they said no. Um, I mean, they were they were young enough to have only experienced one relegation, um, and that was that was so haunting that um, they didn't even want to finish 17th because it would sort of uh, raise raise memories of that. So I don't know. I think kind of priorities change as years go by. I think that's I think that's quite sad. Um, the, the the original kind of question I find in some ways flawed because I was at um, you know I was at the Stadium of Light uh, last week for Sunderland against Middlesbrough in the Capital One Cup um, and it was dreadful from a Sunderland perspective that certainly wasn't a goal fest it wasn't much fun Middlesbrough were very very good and um, you know Martin O'Neill played a really really strong side it was something he was obviously targeting um, he's got a kind of a decent record in the competition and it was but you know from a Sunderland perspective it was pretty grim and it's it's led really to, for the first time for kind of questions to be being asked about um, O'Neill at Sunderland so it does still cup competitions do still have the power to um, you know the power to sort of reinforce or or bring negativity. In terms of the milk cup, the problem with the, that the milk Thank cup you. has is that we're allowed to advertise milk. It's yes, just a thing, isn't absolutely. it? It's just a thing that exists. The milk cup's problem isn't that the, the top six don't take it seriously. Does that? I suspect. I don't know, but I suspect that probably was always the case that United's and Arsenal's and Liverpool's, when, when they were half decent, weren't that bothered by the league cup, especially if they were in Europe. I think the problem is that you look at sides like Stoke and Sunderland and that, that sort of ilk of sides West Brom the teams who, who aren't really going to go down or they certainly shouldn't be looking at going down 
they're putting out weakened sides. Why are they putting out weakened sides? Is finishing eighth really that much better than finishing eleventh well, in the Premier League? I don't think Sunderland did this way. No, 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 yeah, yeah. And, I, and yeah. I don't think I don't think they, you know, I don't think particularly they they have, which is probably what makes it even more disappointing. Yeah, so that, that, that's maybe. But you, but, you but take my point, George. Generally, they are the exception. The, the, yeah. Those teams who are going to finish between, say, sort of seventh and thirteenth, yeah. don't seem bothered by it. And you sort of think, well, no. what what is the point of you playing football? You see, the thing is, is then Newcastle, Newcastle finished fifth last season, and then they get into Europe, and we all say what a fine achievement it is. And then in the first game, they make ten changes, and I mean they've done, you know, they've done very well so far, and they're top of the group and playing Bruges this week, and uh, hopefully they'll kind of progress. But you kind of, it's wow, this is a great achievement, and then it's. Oh my God! I'm looking at ten footballers who I don't recognise. Well, that was always the thing with um, Redknapp at Spurs that he seemed to get into the Europa League so that he could get knocked out of it in the last sixteen. Yeah, which is a very odd way of going yeah, about your business. I was trying to think who who won the League Cup last year or the Worthington Cup since that's one sponsor we haven't mentioned yet uh, from the past. <laughs> I, Little I, Woods. I think we've covered. All, yes, thank you, Little Worthington and Little, Little Woods. It took me a while of thinking about it. I'm assuming you guys all know Russ. He'd know. He'd know. Yeah, well, he would know. But do you know? Yeah, yeah, Liverpool. Thank you. George, did you know Liverpool won the League Cup last year? Of course year? I bloody well knew okay, that. No, seriously. <laughs> there is, there is, there is no more romantic way to win a competition than beating a championship side on penalties. Well, but I was Googling it. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it certainly did wonders to help their manager keep his job Absolutely, as well. yeah. Um, but it just kind of struck me. And what you guys said about it's about winning silverware. And I think, and I must be in a complete minority. And hey, um, hit us up on on Twitter or email Game Podcast and tell me how insane I am. Um, I don't think it is about winning. No, no, no. Come on. I no, 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 no. It's not about winning. Th- I'm sorry. It's not about winning things. It's about glory, or it's about but trying to win things. Exactly. But I, I lived I don't in the northeast. I've seen. I've seen Sunderland won the FA Cup in '73. Middlesbrough won the whatever cup, League Cup it was called. Then and that's all I've seen. It's not about winning things. Winning things is overrated. Clearly, well, you but saw Newcastle about, win the championship, right? <clears throat> yes, but it's about stri- it's about striving. It's about glory. It's about trying to. It's but, about the eternal hope that one day, finally, maybe pre- the team will win something. It's not about finishing ninth in the Premier League. Um, by the way, the point I was making is it's not about winning things. It's not silverware. I don't. It's about. I think it's about going and supporting your team and watching them every game and thinking about them and the anticipation um, and regardless of what competition they're playing in or, or, or what they're doing winning you know it's if you have more money you generally tend to win over time if you have less money you generally tend not to win over time it can't be about about winning silverware but because otherwise I'll go set up my own tin pot competition and you know that's why for me what they should do is just get rid of the league cup and allow teams more time to train, and so we see a better product, fewer injuries, our best players play for longer, and um, everybody's happier. But isn't the great thing about the League Cup as well that it's over early in the season? Yep. It's out of the way. Um, <laughs> but that's like saying, like, oh, I like this book because it's really short. Well, no, but if it's it, good, you want it to be long. It, well, it, it starts early, it finishes the back end of February. You know, it's a nice little sort of pick-me-up for the rest of the season. Yep. I think it's great. The FA Cup's underway. It's What's good, the matter with you? I like this theory because don't you have to win... I think Newcastle would have to win 17 games to get to the final of the Europa League or whatever it's called now, and that's far too long. Let's make football shorter. <laughs> I can't argue with you people, yes. Why don't we make football matches 20 minutes and then, then yep. you'll be it's done? It's been spoken about exactly. before. Exactly. 
All right, enough of this. Time for some quick hits. Chelsea concede a late, 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 late equalizer to Swansea, and it cost them first place in the table. Uh, Rory, we've done more than enough talking about Chelsea this season. Tell me instead what Michael Laudrup is doing right, and don't just tell me he's building upon all the hard work Brendan Rodgers uh, did before him. Well, he's not. I think he's, he's changed the emphasis slightly to a more attacking, more open style. I think Rodgers occasionally indulged in what Wenger calls sterile domination, but I don't want to talk about Michael Laudrup. He's a good manager. Swansea will be a bit crazy this season. Pablo Hernandez is a brilliant footballer what, Love a, my what, Pablo what a bargain that is four million quid from Valencia he's a top class right winner he'll be playing for a top four side within two years Will it be Swansea? No. That would be a good story. Everton are up in fourth place, and while they may have been lucky on some occasions this season, they were decidedly unlucky in their 2-2 draw with Fulham at the weekend. Uh, George, I'll be the first to say that I was expecting them to fall away. Um, But what if they don't? And just tell me, how does David Moyes keep it fresh after a whole decade at Goodison? If they don't, we should declare a national holiday. (laughs) <laughs> um, they're very good and Moyes is very good and you can have seasons like Newcastle did last time uh, where, th- where, where things can run for you they can fall in place and even if you've got a small squad and not much money um, you can be the beneficiaries of that how does Moyes keep doing it? He's really a very very good manager and the, the limited funds that he does get he uses it to buy and find very very good footballers I, I won't tell him okay you said this but would you swap Pardew for Moyes? Shh, nobody's listening. Just me and you, George. No. Oh, oh you, uh, you, all right. you don't need to add to that. You don't need to add to that. Alan's very sensitive. Manchester City also dropped points, drawing with West Ham. And in fact, they were also rather fortunate that a perfectly good Kevin Nolan goal, followed by uh, an aborted chicken run celebration, uh, was disallowed. That meaning that the celebration was aborted, not the chicken. Um... Russ, uh, Mario Balotelli was crucified once again, uh, and once again I feel compelled to tell the world to stop picking on him. Um, yeah. You're one of the few people uh, who's appeared on this podcast who has yet to weigh in on Super Mario. Uh, what's your take? I'm a big fan of uh, Mario Balotelli. I think that you man have after to, my you, own heart. You have to bear in mind where he's come from. Uh, he is a foster child, uh, and the problems uh, that go with that mentally. Uh, he's fallen out with his birth parents, who tried to come to him when he was doing well in Italy and I think Mancini has been a a really nice arm around him and I think that he loves Balotelli on and off the pitch but also tells him when he's not doing so well Uh, for me he's an extraordinary talent he's not an expensive penalty taker he's very good at those and I play him if Mancini knew his first 11 I would definitely play him but I don't think he does Mancini definitely uh, does not yes and that's a message to MOTD crew okay um I think you'll find that Mario Balotelli's achieved more at his age than uh, the three of you achieved at your age. I don't you remember you guys scoring two goals against the hated Germans in a European Championship semi-final. I don't remember you guys winning Champions League titles at his age. I don't remember you guys winning league titles in two different countries. So basically, shut the f*** up! QPR, our joint bottom of the table, and some are calling for Mark Hughes's head. Uh, our paper says the specter of Harry Redknapp hangs over Loftus Road. Uh, Rory, I know you didn't write that headline, but I was thinking, um, is Harry just really such a sepulchral, spectral figure? I find him quite cheery, actually. Um, but would swapping Sparky for Harry be a change for the better? I think that'd be great if, like, the, if the face of Deputy Dodd was kind of beamed over Loftus Road at night. Um I don't think it Sorry, would. Deputy who? Do you not think Harry Redknapp looks like Deputy Dodd? 
The Jowls. The Jowls. Yeah. The Jowls. Who's the Jowls? Deputy? Is this, a, is this some Anglo reference? He's an getting? iconic cartoon character. Yeah. You should have watched more television in your in your upbringing, Gabriele. I'm sorry. I were was, you watching? I was, I was watching, reading books and watching f- Polish and French films you were. and being a generally pretentious snothead. When, yes. when we were watching cartoons, you were watching Croatian second division matches, weren't you? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I'd, I'd stick with Hughes. I've got to admit. I think Hughes is a decent manager. I think he knows what he's doing at, at the bottom end of the table. QPR have got a decent squad. They've got a good midfield in Granero and Fowlin. If they can click, that's a really good midfield. I'd, I'd give him more chance, but the amount of money they've spent, the, the transfer policy was completely crazy in the summer. I, I think that Hughes needs a very quick turnaround. Redknapp, uh, yeah, would, would get QPR playing nice football. But I, I don't think it, it would be the right appointment for them. I think they maybe need someone who doesn't want to spend money constantly. Maybe they need a strong director of football. Maybe you should appoint Kia Drapchen as director. Oh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> now, if I read the stat in the paper correctly, Sunderland have won one of their last 17 games. Um, Martin O'Neill himself pointed out that they were doing horrible this time last year and everything sorted itself out. Um, wondering if I should be rude and remind him that the way they fixed it last year was that they sacked the manager and appointed somebody named Martin O'Neill who fixed things. Now, of course, that's not an option they have now. That would be kind of nonsensical and you'd be caught in some sort of weird, infinite Mobius loop that you would never get out of. Uh, so, George, what is the, situ- what is the uh, solution? They're half, they're half awful, half very solid. The stats are correct. They won one of the last 17 in the league. They've drawn 11 of those games. Some of them were last season when they were safe and had nothing left to play for. But the big issue for Sunderland is that their three creative players aren't being in the slightest bit creative. Sessegnon, McLean, um, and of course the big one really is Adam Johnson, who's been very, very disappointing since he signed from Manchester City. I don't think it's anything more serious than a case of form, but um, when you get in a run like the kind of run they're in, that can become entrenched, and then it doesn't matter about niceties such as that, really. So they need to, they need to start showing how good they are, or they're in trouble. Um, Spurs are tied for fourth in the table, but it was booze all round for Andre Villas-Bosch when he sent on one striker, Emmanuel Adebayor, for another striker, Jermaine Defoe, with Spurs a goal down. Uh, Russ, um, this question was originally put to Rory, who likes to defend foreigners who do weird things, like not play with two strikers at home. I'm assuming you have a more sensible view. Well, I think that whoever your manager is, if you're a supporter of the club, within reason, you have a duty to at least give them a go. I think the sections of the media, certain sections of the fans who are not interested in Andre Villas-Boas succeeding, I think he's done pretty well. They're joint fourth in the Premier League at the moment. Poor result of the weekend at home where they haven't been great. But this is the team that went to Old Trafford for the first time in 28 years and beat Manchester United 3-2. You do not do that unless your players want to play for you. So for the people writing and suggesting the players are not behind him, I would say that that is not true. But he must start playing two strikers at home. Adebayor and Defoe. They're, they're a match made in heaven for each other. Why won't he do it? Who do you drop? Uh, I wouldn't play Sigurdsson. Or Dempsey. 
and or yeah I don't think Clint's played that well since he's come to the club I think there's better to come yeah but one for you I hear and have read that Juventus's 49 match unbeaten streak came to an end on, on Saturday night I think rather than Sunday night it was Saturday night yeah, Saturday you night. wrote the wrong thing here our script. producer's written the wrong thing yeah. uh, also his spelling Gab wrote that his spelling and punctuation are awful how did it happen and can you give us some historical context well it happened because they ran into an interside who played out of their skin in very unlikely circumstances they went there with uh, uh, three strikers and three not exactly high work rate strikers at that uh, and they uh, they came back uh, despite going a goal down after 18 seconds and absolutely battered them it was a victory for Andrea Stramaccioni if y'all, you lot didn't have such a difficult time uh, mentioning his name or pronouncing that name I'd say remember the name because he's only 36 years old and uh, so far he looks like a special manager interesting thing about Juventus's 49 match unbeaten streak um, I, I looked around to see who had longer streaks uh, worldwide it's actually Asik Mimosas who went 108 games unbeaten famously uh, famously Stau Bucharest went 106 games uh, unbeaten um, but that's a bit of an asterisk there because it was Romanian football in the 1980s and Ceausescu's son and so on uh, you had Celtic 62 games unbeaten but of course that was uh, during in the midst of World War One, where players were kind of disappearing every week to go and fight in the trenches um, and you've got a whole bunch like Sheriff Tiraspol guys like that it, in the big European leagues, the record uh, remains 58 games unbeaten for AC Milan, and I think, uh, and that's followed by Juventus 49, and of course Arsenal 49. I think that really stands out because at the time Serie A was, I think, indisputably the best league in the world, and uh, they went 20% longer than anybody else in a major league. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts or email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. A special thanks to Russ, who uh, uh, was kind enough thanks, to guys. host us here in his home in, yes. uh, in Absolute uh, Radio. Uh, Russ, when can people hear you? My normal show, 10 o'clock in the morning, but of course, rock and roll football, Saturday afternoon, and uh, Bartley's Premier League coverage every Saturday. Saturday afternoon from when to when? 1.30, right the way through to 7, including him right from five there you go Ian right 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 you can go to thetimes.co.uk you'll find your news your gossip your analysis our web chats uh, Rory's web chat is on Mondays usually which means uh, by the time you get this you're going to have to plan ahead to next Monday if you want to chat with Rory on the web uh, there's also our blogs uh, uh, George's blog is uh, generally the best blog of the week George when is your blog? Uh, last week Last week, there you go. So you have to so put that in your put that in your calendars. Um, I have a blog coming up this week as well. Till next time, bye bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.